following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. series on the promises that Jesus made. And uh, when we look at all the promises in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's interesting that Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 29 is the only one where we specifically, in Jesus' words, get an inside look into his heart. And so I believe that this promise that we're going to go through today, which is, I will give you rest. This promise is for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, and the empty. It is for those who are running on fumes. Those who feel like constantly running up a descending escalator. I know kids find that fun, but I find that exhausting. And find themselves thinking, how could I mess up that badly again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience with us is wearing thin. It's for those of us who know God loves us, but in the back of our mind, we, we suspect that somehow we have deeply disappointed him. It's for those of us who've told others about Christ's love, yet we wonder if maybe he harbors mild resentment towards us. It's for those of us who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired. It's for those of us who are convinced that we have permanently diminished our usefulness for Jesus. This promise, in other words, is for normal Christians who are both sinners and sufferers. How does Jesus feel about them. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, 8, sorry, chapter 11, 28, 29. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can also follow on screen. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, For such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The key words I really want to focus on today is, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For God himself to say in the midst of all his blazing glory, holiness, and transcendence, that at his core, which is the French word cœur, which means heart, that at the very core... He is gentle and lowly. It's surprising. What's, what's gentleness? It's, 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 
like a caress. It's, I guess one way to define it is gentleness is the felt experience of mercy. Let me say that again. Gentleness is the felt experience of mercy. You know, when all my boys were young and, and Manny was so excited to see his baby brother, he was smothering. I'm like, gentle, gentle, okay? So we know that mercy is when God would hold something from us that we do deserve. And on the other hand, grace is when God gives us something we don't deserve. And so gentleness is the felt experience of God's mercy and grace on our lives. And in a world that is getting angrier and angrier and more divided by the second, gentleness has a very surprising and shocking effect on us. It's like you're walk, it's like when you're expecting a lawsuit and someone sends you a check in the mail. It's like when you expect to walk into a prison cell and there's a surprise birthday party for you. It's like when you're expecting a slap and someone gives you a warm hug. Gentleness surprises us because we know we don't deserve it deep inside. And Jesus says at his heart, he is gentle and lowly. Lowliness has to do with humility. It means that the God of the universe who created the stars and the galaxies and all that is in Jesus is approachable. He is touchable. He's unpretentious. And he meets us in the space that we inhabit right now through his Holy Spirit. And this means that we don't have to be impressive to come to Jesus. We don't have to put on a show or posture. We can meet him in the reality of who we are right now where we are. And this heart's gentleness and lowliness is what compels his action in the world. It's his posture towards sinners and sufferers who are honest about their need for God and a Savior like this. There's a lot in here, but let me give you three things that Jesus wants us to hear about the heart of Jesus. And it starts with an invitation to come to Jesus. Jesus invites us to come to him. Jesus says, come to me. He doesn't say come to the set of principles, way of thinking, ethic of life, ideals, five-step program to have your best life now. <laughs> Jesus says, come to me. And in this way, Christianity is intensely relational and personalized. And yet, we have a tendency to complicate this relationship and depersonalize Jesus into this theoretical compartment on our calendar that we visit once on Sunday and maybe once in a week for life group. And then we feel bad about not living up to the standards of it. But before all these things that have to do with following Jesus, like obedience, holiness, repentance, discipling, which are all important. It's all about following Jesus. But before we get to following Jesus, we need to remember that they all come to the foundation of coming to Jesus over and over again. 
And many of us, myself included in the past, have struggled with regular, meaningful, and vibrant Bible reading and prayer because I think we have a tendency to make these things Christian stuff to do. Not stuff that I do, but, you know, believer stuff to do. All right? Instead of seeing them as coming to the person of Jesus. These are not spiritual chores, but they are blood-stained doorways which Jesus has opened to us by dying on the cross so that we can meet with him. And this means that we're never just reading the Bible. We're never just praying. We're coming to Jesus. And that changes the way we read the Bible. That changes the way we pray. We are meeting the almighty God of the universe who extends to us this invitation to come to him. Just for the sake of argument, just, just get a picture in your mind for a moment of someone you really admire. All right? Who might that be? A person of history, a politician. And you could sit down with them for a few hours and that would just make your day. You got that in your mind? Maybe you'd like to have a meal with Mark Zuckerberg so you can tell him in person all the stuff that he's already listening to through your Facebook profile. You know, I don't know. Um, Imagine that the person that you admire not only was willing to meet with you, but actually got your phone number and your location through Facebook again, okay? He sought, he or she sought you out, came to you, covered all the costs, and did everything necessary to make the meeting happen. And it wasn't a one-off, but an invitation into their personal space to know them, to walk with them, and to be their best friend. How would that make you feel? In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, we have the creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe, clothed in his blazing glory and holiness, giving us this very wonderful, reoccurring invitation. Come to me. I had a terrible week. Come to me. I feel so inadequate. Come to me. I stuffed up again. Come to me. At the heart of the gospel is not that we get salvation, forgiveness of sin, a new family, eternal life, and a new creation, which are all true and they're all wonderful byproducts. But at the heart of the gospel is that in Christ, he gives us himself. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Quite often this has been misunderstood. It's like, oh, if I put you first, Jesus, you'll give me a BMW. You give me a house, give me a wife, give me a husband, a car, whatever. But the point is this, if you delight yourself in the Lord, what is the desire of your heart? The Lord. He is the greatest treasure, the, 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 the pearl of indescribable worth. We get God, the source of life, the giver of gifts in all his infinitude. So where have you depersonalized and complicated Jesus? How might we wake up differently tomorrow if we considered the invitation of Jesus 
and realize that the God of the universe, in all his glory, might, power, has tender feelings for us and says, come to me. Church, we haven't even scratched the surface of our union in Christ and the access we have to the Father. So who may come? Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden. Next slide, please. Thanks. The condition of who may come is self-exhaustion. The honesty of our brokenness before God. Tired and burdened individuals. People frustrated by this world and even more frustrated by themselves and the brokenness of this place. All who labor speaks of the people who've been wearied in their efforts and exerted in their strength everything they can but realize they don't measure up to be self-saviors or their own gods. Heavy laden is talking about being strained to the point of immobility. Is the, uh, the picture not working on the slide? Oh, dear. That's all right. It was a picture of someone bench pressing with a spotter. Okay. Any, any, anyone doing, anyone enjoy doing going to the gym or something or lifting weights? All right. Yeah, so you all know what a bench press is. All right. Even for those who don't, you, you're familiar. The point is this. For those of you who lift weights at the gym, have you ever done a bench press and you get to that final repetition and it's not going anywhere and the bar is going to crush you? All right? What you need more now and anything isn't more effort because that's spent. You have trained to failure. What you need is a spotter. It's someone who will come in and incarnate themselves in your situation and lift the bar off you so you don't get crushed by it. And that's what it means to be heavy laden to the point of exhaustion. Can I ask you a question? What have you carried into the service this morning that maybe you're weighed down by. Where do you need a spotter? Or maybe you don't feel it because you're so good at escaping it by doing something else to distract yourself from it. I know I am. But it's there. And it's lingering. And it's not going away. What is it that makes you restless in this world? When Jesus is speaking of this kind of weariness, he's mainly talking about the brokenness over the way the way things are in a world fractured by sin, heavy laden by life in this place. Do you at times feel that emptiness of soul, that, that heaviness of life? Or is it just me? And it comes from always having to prove ourselves in some way to show that we're somebody and that our life is meaningful and matters. And this restlessness is inherent in the entire human condition. And that is why the early church father, Augustine, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Jesus is speaking here to those who've been beaten up by sin, this world, our circumstances, physical pain, sickness, relational disappointments, marital letdowns, unsatisfied expectations, and things not just turning out the way we planned. In other words, he's speaking to every 
one of us who is able to admit and be honest about our true state. We are broken and we need a savior. Not just at the beginning of our Christian walk, but through entire Christian walk. We've been stained by sin and we need a healer. We don't have it all together. All we have, and pun not intended here, if we're honest, is our honesty. Brendan Manning, the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, good book to read, he wrote that the great weakness of the church at large, and certainly my life, is our refusal to accept our brokenness. Ouch. Our brokenness is not an obstacle to be avoided, but it is a doorway to God's power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My power is made perfect in weakness, God says. And that's where we're meant to make our home. And this invitation for Jesus is not for those who bring their clever, can't say it again, their cleverness, see, I'm, let's try it again. This invitation of Jesus is not for those who bring them their cleverness, there we go, ingenuity, grit, or strength, or the, but their neediness. It's like that Chris Tomlin song. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. It comes down to that. Christianity isn't for people who think they have it all together. Christianity is for people who aren't good at being Christians. Just look at the disciples Jesus picked. Has anyone watched that series, The Chosen? I love how they creatively portray that they're absolute dropkicks. And that makes me feel good because I fit in with them. The gospel is good news, not just on the first day, but every single day of walking with Jesus. The gospel isn't just the ABC of the Christian faith. It's the A to Z. Um, the gospel is for people who aren't good at following Jesus and know it and need to be reminded of it daily. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now complete in the flesh? We never graduate from the gospel. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because we get spiritual amnesia. It's not weighing on our ability, effort, or power to clean up our lives, but on our honesty that says, I'm heavy laden. I'm burdened with sin, tired and exhausted with myself. I'm a candidate for the grace of Christ. Christianity is for people who can admit that they're a mess. And Jesus really highlights this earlier on in verse 25. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to whom? Little children. Have you met little children? Do you know what little children are like? Some of you have little children. Some of you have little children. You're like, praise God. 
I can tell you from personal experience, because Michelle and I have two sons, that little children are really cute and a total mess. <laughs> and all the parents of little children say, oh, great, all right? I mean, Michelle, at times, we had our house professionally cleaned, and then we would turn around and go grab something, turn around again, and the whole place is like a bomb hit again. How did that happen? Little children are noisy and needy and extremely messy and irritating tools to make us more Christ-like. Those are the candidates that Jesus speaks to and for whom this invitation rings true. The invitation of Jesus is good news for every person who doesn't see themselves as too good for Jesus and can own up to their own brokenness and need for Jesus. And so it doesn't matter if you're a religious sinner or a non-religious sinner. It doesn't matter if you're a young sinner or an old sinner. It doesn't matter whether you're addicted to selfie or addicted to porn. It doesn't matter whether you're a workaholic or an alcoholic. The invitation of Jesus is for every single person who says, I need Jesus in my unique set of circumstances that make up my life. And if we can be honest about our need for Jesus, then he invites us to bring our sin and our weariness from that sin. And he will receive us, love us, and free us. It's like we sang this morning, whom the sun sets free. How's it go? Free indeed. The child of God. Yes, I am. That's truth in that. We're going to live that truth, church. He promises us to give the greatest gift that every person in this world is questing after, but only those who know Jesus find. And that is rest. Jesus promises the gift of rest. He says, I will give you rest. And we know humanity seeks rest by how much we depend on the weekend, don't we? Yeah? Our constant making rest the thing that will make everything right reveals how much we long for this. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have rest, but it's a, a big thing. And then the world's constantly about showing that you are a somebody who has it all together. In a world that is seeking and running for the rest that only Jesus promises, which empowers the race of faith. Anybody seen that old movie called Chariots of Fire? No, no, it's a real good. The wonderful thing is it's based on a true story. And it's based on two 1924 Olympic sprinters, Harold Abrams and Eric Liddell, the last one being a Christian. And the contrast of these two sprinters is found in the reason why they run. And so we can ask ourselves this question, what motivates, what drives our running of our race of faith. At one point in the film, Harold Abrams says, when I look down that long corridor, three feet wide, a hundred yard longs, I only have 10 seconds to justify my existence. But will I? 10 seconds to prove that I am someone. But will I? And at another point in the movie, Eric Liddell, the Christian, explains, I run. Because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. 
Which is funny because for all us non-runners, we feel God's wrath. Harold Abrahams runs for his identity and value and worth and meaning of his life to become somebody. But Eric Liddell runs because he knows who he is and has his identity secured. His value and significance are not locked into the next event or the next race or the next output of effort, but into the God who loved him and freed him and therefore he runs. You see, the Christian life is not a life that is absent of activity. It's a, lo- a life grounded in the rest of Jesus, which empowers that activity. And so when we run the race of faith, we too can feel his pleasure. And that is worship. From the old English word, worth scope, to scribe worth to God. So the question to ask here is, why is it so hard for us to receive the promise of Christ's gracious rest? And I think it's because we're afraid. Some of us fear the rest of Jesus because we bought into the Frank Sinatra illusion of the self-made person who made it my way, you know? Some of you are like, who is he talking about? Frank Sinatra. (laughs) All right? But to rest in Jesus means that we have to stop pretending we're God. And let God be God. Other of us might fear the rest of Jesus because our busyness is a way of medicating ourselves against the pain and disappointment in life. I just got to do more. I just got to do more. But to rest in Jesus means to slow down enough to be vulnerable. And others fear the rest of Jesus because by being busy doing good, we hope to compensate for the lack of being good. But when we lay our head on our pillows at night, we know deep inside, we're not good. To rest means we have to confess our weakness and our own brokenness. And yet the invitation stands and the promise is true that at the heart of Jesus, the call is come to me. Stop living as your own God, which is just this heavy laden burden that you're not meant to carry. Come to me, says Jesus, and he promises, I will give you rest. There is rest in Jesus for everyone here today who is tired of keeping up appearances that life is perfect and just wants to be honest about reality. There is rest in the heart of Jesus for weary parents. There is rest in the heart of Jesus for the anxious, the addicts, and even the rule keepers who are just so exhausted about it all coming down on them. Can you imagine just for a moment what it would be like to walk out of here today no longer being a slave to proving, earning, worrying, and fearing, but instead to know that Jesus sets us free, gives us sustaining rest, and promises to do this all the way home. Christianity isn't adding more pressure to your already pressurized lives. Christianity, real Christianity, is the depressurization of your life through the final finished work on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished to reconcile us to God, not because of anything we have done or can do, 
but because of his heart being gentle and lowly. What makes the gospel so good is that he does the work. We bring the need and we have real peace with the Father. And Jesus, unlike us, he doesn't scoff at us because we fell down again in the same way. He doesn't have this exasperated sigh and eye roll and face palm. He's like, oh, such a disappointment. No, no, no. Jesus, the heart of Jesus is actually most drawn to us and loves to meet us when we are most needy and most honest about that need. It's where he incarnates himself from his throne of glory on high in our moment-to-moment frustration of life and world and our failures with ourselves. And that's where God's mercy and gentleness becomes most powerfully felt when you are at your lowest. And I found in my life, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more his gentleness shocks me. Because I know how bad I am. Ask my wife. Actually, no, don't ask her. He's not, he's not giving up on me. He is going to finish the work he began in me. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God is not finished with you yet. And that's his promise to all of us. So come to him. Whenever you're tempted in life to believe that Jesus is on the verge of shunning you, of washing his hands clean of you, of of dusting uh, the dust off his feet or throwing the towel. Whenever you feel tempted in that way, it's acutely in that space that he says to you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And that right there is the ground for all our trust and all our activity of following him. Musicians and singers, if you please. Church, that's the good news. Instead of punishing us for our sins, Jesus absorbed the full sum of it. Instead of giving us the hell that we do deserve, Jesus gives us his heaven. There is no name like Jesus as we've sung. His heart is most gentle and low. It's it's a return to Eden. It's a foretaste of the new creation. It's a life lived in the rest of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, help us to believe that you actually are what the Bible says you are. Jesus, help us believe that you deal tenderly with sinners and sufferers just like us who are constantly needy and for whom your grace is 
constantly good news. We love you, Lord. Free us in this truth, we pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.